This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Russian troops retreated from Lyman, a key logistics hub in Donetsk, hours after Ukrainian forces entered the city. Ukraine said the recapture would allow its military to advance into Luhansk, a region Russia took over in July. The retreat comes after Vladimir Putin's illegal annexation of four regions of Ukraine, including both Donetsk and Luhansk. On Friday, Russia's president declared the annexation in a speech after sham referendums in the areas concerned. President Joe Biden said the scale of the devastation from Storm Ian, currently battering the Carolinas, will probably rank among the worst in America's history. Ian has left at least 30 people dead, almost all of them in Florida, and around 1.5 million Americans are without power. More casualties are expected. Ian is forecast to move further through North Carolina before dissipating by Saturday evening near the border with Virginia. At least 127 people were killed in a stampede after a football match in Indonesia. Arema FC, a club from Malang, East Java, had lost 3-2 against Persebaya Surabaya, their regional rivals. Local police said that supporters from the losing team rushed onto the pitch. Police retaliated with tear gas. Remaining fixtures in the league have been suspended for a week. Demonstrators clashed with Iraqi security forces near Baghdad's Tahrir Square on Saturday, the anniversary of anti-government protests in 2019. Protesters chanted, quote, We want to overthrow the regime, and threw stones. Security forces fired tear gas and stun grenades. At least 86 people were wounded. Iraq is currently in political deadlock after Muqtada al-Sadr, a Shia cleric, won the most seats in elections last year, but not enough to form a government. Ibrahim Traore, an army captain who staged a coup in Burkina Faso, said that the ousted leader, Paul-Henri Damiba, is plotting a counterattack. Gunfire echoed across the capital on Saturday, and protesters started a fire outside the French embassy. Colonel Traore has accused the French army of sheltering Colonel Damiba. France has denied the claims. Poland began to receive gas from Baltic Pipe, a new pipeline from Norway via Denmark and the Baltic Sea. The pipeline will help diversify Poland's gas supplies away from Russia. Meanwhile, Bulgaria and Greece began operating their long-delayed gas pipeline. Ursula von der Leyen, president of the European Commission, called it a, quote, game-changer and freedom from dependency on Russian gas. Exit polls from Latvia's general election showed that New Unity, a party led by Prime Minister Christianis Kerens, a staunch critic of Vladimir Putin, was set to win by a sizable margin. Meanwhile, the Harmony Party, which draws most of its support from Latvia's Russians, is projected to have failed to win enough votes to enter Parliament. And Word of the Week, Derovshina, the name for the tradition of hazing conscripts in Russia. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Will Brazil get rid of Bolsonaro? Brazilians cast their ballots on Sunday in the first round of a presidential election that pits the right-wing populist president, Jair Bolsonaro, 
against leftist former president Luis Inácio Lula da Silva. The campaign has been marked by polarization and violence. Polls suggest that Lula will beat Mr. Bolsonaro by anywhere from 6 to 17 percentage points. But can Lula win the election outright? If no candidate gets more than 50% of votes in the first round, a runoff will be held on October 30th. Some polls suggest that Lula could pull it off. A switch-the-vote campaign seeks to convince backers of Ciro Gomez and Simone Tebet, candidates with around 5% apiece, to vote instead for Lula. Many fear that Mr. Bolsonaro will reject the result if he loses. Should Lula manage a first-round win, Mr. Bolsonaro will have a tough time upholding his bogus claims of fraud. But, like his hero, Donald Trump, that won't stop him from trying. One Nation, One Fertilizer in India No government in India wishes to upset farmers, a vote bank of more than 100 million. So when the war in Ukraine sent fertilizer prices soaring, the ruling Bhartiya Janta Party was quick to act. Within two months, it announced new subsidies worth $8 billion on top of bulky existing ones. As a result, the expected cost of subsidizing fertilizers this fiscal year will reach 2.5 trillion rupees, $31 billion, around 1% of the country's GDP. Naturally, the government also wants to get credit for this largesse. From Sunday, all bags of fertilizer sold in the country must be emblazoned with government insignia. Private fertilizer firms complain this will hurt their brands, but the government insists that uniformity will streamline distribution. The opposition has called the move a marketing gimmick by Narendra Modi, the Prime Minister, and the BJP. There is a clue in the project's official name, Pradhan Mantri Bhartiya John Uvarak Pariyojna meaning Prime Minister's All-India Fertilizer Scheme, which shortens handily to PMBJP. The Hidden Meaning of Horror Bloomhouse Productions, a film and television company, is responsible for some of the most popular horror movies of the past couple decades. Paranormal Activity a film presented as if it was made up of found video recordings, was released in 2007 and earned almost $200 million from a paltry budget of $15,000. The Purge franchise has made more than $450 million at the box office. The company has now lent its name to Bloomhouse's Compendium of Horror, a documentary series which airs on Sunday in America. The show makes a simple and somewhat repetitive argument that the horror genre, far from purveying cheap, gory thrills, has always held a mirror up to society. Dracula, the talking heads say, encapsulated feelings about the wealthy during the Great Depression. Godzilla drew on Japanese viewers' grim memories of atomic bombs. Bloomhouse, it seems, considers itself part of a venerable tradition of collective catharsis. Leopoldstadt comes to New York. Often hailed as Britain's greatest living playwright, Tom Stoppard has long used his erudite, linguistically dazzling plays to probe philosophical ideas. But his latest work, Leopoldstadt, gets more personal. Set in Vienna, 
between 1899 and 1955, it traces the fate of a large and very well-off Jewish family that had assumed that success and assimilation made them more Viennese than Jewish. As the decades pass, they learn that their finery and oil portraits won't keep them out of Auschwitz. At 85, Sir Tom seems to be finally reckoning with his own inheritance, having lost his four Jewish grandparents and much of his Czech family to the horrors of the Holocaust. With this play, he elegantly conveys the guilt that comes with survival and the duty to remember what was lost. The show, now at the Longacre Theatre on Broadway, after an acclaimed run in London, also reminds the audience that this all happened not so long ago. Weekend Profile Yevgeny Prigozhin, Putin's Private Army Supremo This week, Yevgeny Prigozhin stepped out of the shadows. The close ally of Russia's President Vladimir Putin admitted for the first time that he founded the Wagner Group, a network of guns for hire that does much of Russia's dirty work. I cleaned the old weapons myself, sorted out the bulletproof vests myself, said Mr. Prigozhin of Wagner's early days. The mercenaries emerged in Ukraine in 2014 to aid Russia's annexation of Crimea and back up pro-Russian separatists in the eastern Donbas region. The group then expanded wherever Russia had an interest, including Syria, Libya, and the Central African Republic and Mali. As for Mr. Prigozhin, little is known about his childhood. He spent most of his twenties in prison, serving nine years for robbery and fraud. After his release, he set up a hot dog stand in St. Petersburg in the 1990s. He soon opened chic eateries. His New Island floating restaurant was a favorite of Mr. Putin, at the time deputy mayor of St. Petersburg. His associations with Russia's elite brought lucrative catering gigs for schools, hospitals, and the army, and earned him the nickname Putin's Chef. But it was his work outside the kitchen that earned him a reputation in the West. In 2018, American prosecutors indicted Mr. Prigozhin, alleging that he financed a Russian troll farm to spread online misinformation during the presidential election in 2016. Mr. Prigozhin long denied involvement in Wagner's bloody operation, and sued journalists who suggested as much. Since the outbreak of the war in Ukraine, the group may have helped capture several eastern cities. Mr. Prigozhin is putting his name to that. He may think that Russia's tattered relationship with the West means there is no more point in maintaining the open secret. He may also be reminding Mr. Putin, amid battlefield losses and a backlash against mobilization at home, of his loyalty and value. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia, Arun Gorjale, Hosur, India. North America, Patty Drago, Lewis, United States. Central and South America, Peter Noack, Lima, Peru. Europe, Henry Haley, Lille, France. Africa, Rob Blair, Harare, Zimbabwe. Oceania, Paula Johnson, Perth, Australia. They all gave the correct answers of Warren Beatty, Marshall Plan, 
Jay Leno, Chevy Chase, and Roberts. The theme is U.S. Supreme Court Chief Justices, Earl Warren, John Marshall, John Jay, Salmon Chase, and John Roberts. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Groucho Marx, who was born on this day in 1890. No one is completely unhappy at the failure of his best friend. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.